let's just get started because you're a very upbeat person and I love you already. You're very oh. cheery and happy. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm crying inside. No, I'm... what's not to be? Well, there's many things not to be cheery about, but one might as well have a, an optimistic sort of inside. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll get us started. Um, welcome to another Eat. episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're delighted to be joined by an actress, Benita Fredrici. I hope I pronounced that correctly. It was so close. It was just amazing. <laughs> it's actually, it's Friderici. Yes. It was originally Dutch. Mm, wow. So it, just a little equal weight to all of the syllables. But I, I, I hope if I said it fast enough that you wouldn't have noticed. I didn't really. Now, I have to say the only person who has ever really pronounced my name correctly is my husband, John Billingsley, immediately. But, you know. Well, that's good. He <laughs> thought he should get it right and he was correct. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'd like to ask you this question right off the bat. What are the rules you live by in life? Hmm. That's a that, that, that's a profound question. Yeah. Um honestly a major probably one of the things that guides everything I do is if it will hurt someone else don't do it. <laughs> if if anything and you know and I'm, I make mistakes and I've obviously done that and you know you can't be perfect but if anything would would not be in any way would be in any way injurious unkind hurtful or something to another uh human being and animals except for i have a feeling i've killed more than my share of ants um i i no don't don't i know the feeling i know it intellectually and emotionally so don't <laughs> Sorry, it really is really important to me because I, I do think that um, sometimes self-preservation kind of can make us not aware that we coexist and we're, we're all the same kinds of stuff and emotions rearranged. I often say that it, we're kind of human beings are kind of like food in the world. Yeah. It's kind of basically all the same ingredients, just rearranged in different ways, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. It's how how do you stay positive with all the grimness in the world? How do you stay positive? John and I talk. My husband and I talk about that a lot. Um, no, no. I mean, when I don't stay positive, like every second of every day, yeah. but on balance, uh, I'm a huge supporter of John. Last me, but um, the power of now, that idea that being very present, yeah, um, that that is where where you can exist. If you try too hard to hang on to the past, or you try too hard to predict the future, it's never what you think it was. It's never what you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but what is that you can be aware of, and you can be positive. I mean, there's all, I mean, it's, it's, that's the point of existing. And I, I do think that also, if you just think about it as rationally as possible, is it better to face something with anger or upset? I mean, one of the things I've been doing for the last five or six years is um, volunteering with this, the Hollywood Food Coalition, this organization. And you can't control food donation, by the way. 
one of the most uncontrollable things if it's edible food, not edible food, how much you're going to get, if you have people who can come pick it up, if you can get people to get it to people in need, what you can do with it. But we need to eat, right? We've got all this extra food. And I do a lot with trying to get lunch bags to out to people in need and stuff like that. And I started out, I have done it now for five and a half years, getting upset because mm -hmm. I couldn't control it. I couldn't control yeah. other people. And when I dropped doing that and I started just going with the flow, and just thinking, well, no matter what, this is good stuff here, and we've got good people here, and we'll figure it out. It wouldn't. It went so much more easily, and with so much joy. Even problems weren't quite problems if you looked at them from a slightly different angle. So, do you think what you just said there? Do you think that it's well, the outcome is is not in our control, as you just said, that it just went fine. But it's just that if we lose that feeling of trying to control everything. We just enjoy things slightly better and outcome is much more likable than it would have been if we tried to control everything and if you would get frustrated trying to control everything. Well, yes, because it, I think control is an illusion. Really? I mean, if you think, what are you in fact controlling? Hmm. Are you trying to avoid probably it's avoiding pain or something that feels painful, but I've noticed that comes up anyway. I mean, you can't, I mean, I also don't want to make it sound like woohoo. I'm mispositive in this world where there's a lot of real, right. obviously pain, agony, horrible things that happen and stuff. But if you, if one can learn or see nothing else from other people trying to deal with suffering is what what do we do but when we see people still loving each other or still taking care of each other trying to help each other that is the the thing about human beings of coming together in ways that you can mm -hmm. and there is some form of deep feeling that is not negative in that you know what i mean and empowering yeah. because we can't control i mean you know Sorry, you're born and you, 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 there's very little control you have over the, you know, the fact that there is a cycle of life, right? Yeah. But would you say the micro decisions that you make can also lead you to a different path? And I'm I'm not talking about specific things. I'm talking about grand scheme of things in life. Like the micro decisions, let's say, you know, not eating too much sugar or, you know, going to the gym or reading more books than watching more movies or whatever it is. Those micro decisions that one makes every day and lead, lead you to a different path. Do you think that is a bit of control? I think that's choice. Is, is choice control? Yes. But you're sort of trying... That is what you have is choice. Yeah, that's true. You have that's your own true. individual choice. Right. But you... It, I suppose for me, control suggests. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yes. Pulling levers, making other human beings do the things that you want them to do. Cause you, you know, it's an, ex it's more that to me, the, the sense of control is more exterior. Right. I and, mean, I suppose, go on, sorry. Yeah, and even though if you make those choices, we still can't control the outcome, not in our hands. No, and I think that leads to great disappointment or feeling <laughs> of unfairness. I sometimes think a lot because I'm a Libra. Okay. And I don't I don't necessarily buy into astrology, but you know, we do grow up with our astrological signs and what people 
assigned to them. Right. Yeah. Well, I always wonder is is part of my personality a result of what was assigned to the month of, in which I was born, or is it because you know the moons? But it always makes me chuckle. But uh, and again, that's not anyone's control. But what makes me laugh is a Libra is it's only a sign that's not a human being. I mean, is not alive. It's the scales, right? Blind yeah. justice and all. And but I've always been very concerned with what is fair mm. or unfair fairness with people, and, and that's where a lot of like my anger and thing will things will come from is a sense of unfairness. But again, you know. If you, like you said, you choose not to eat a whole lot of sugar because you want to make sure that, you, you know, your glucose is good, yeah. but, you know, you, your family has a DNA that's going to give you a high chance of diabetes, whether you like it or not. I mean, I have a friend who's an amazing nurse practitioner and administrator and just in gorgeous health, except he has hereditary high cholesterol. So right. he has to take a lot of medication. He's like, he's a My runner. Goodness. He runs marathons right are you, are you a people person are you are you a very social being yes and no if that i mean i like solitude a lot uh i get overwhelmed with human en energy sometimes i'm not always great at parties and things i get i'm sh <laughs> this sounds really i'm sort of shy I was yeah. a shy child and I get, I get a little overwhelmed and uh, embarrassed uh, less so because I'm old. Um, but I also, I do like people and I also like, I mean, I'm a theater rat yeah. in television and film. You know, I, I substitute taught middle school with 30 to 40 children with their eyes on you all day long, watching your every movement. Um, and I love working with volunteers and stuff. So, yes and no. Yeah, right. Is are is, you guys are you guys people 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 I, person? I, I'm I not. definitely am. I definitely he is. Am. It's funny. Yeah, it's it's that when when you say if if Dan were to ask me that Herman, are you a people person? I would say, um, as you said, yes and no, but mostly yes because. One of the reasons I started this podcast is that I want to know how you live your life, the way you live. I want to see the world through your lens. So maybe it'll be someone on a metro, maybe someone on a podcast, maybe someone working with me. I want to get to know and understand people and how they think. If that makes me a people person, then yes, I am. And more about parties. I've never been into parties, never been a party person. I like going out in the nature with people of course um so yeah i guess if that makes me a people person then yeah sure i am a people person i'm i'm much better one-on-one -on -one or in smaller groups i don't like crowds because i've just got that social anxiety um at a high high level when i'm out and about with people and i've told Harvin this before like starting this podcast this is the most amount of people I've probably ever talked to in my entire life because <laughs> we've done over 60 episodes. This is consistently the most amount of strangers I've ever uh, talked to. Interesting. Yeah. And what do you, what are you, and I imagine you guys are learning a lot 
absolutely yeah. about ourselves about each other about guests about how this works about lots of aspects and i think um that sometimes we don't try new things and we try to predict the outcomes of those things in our heads and we get disappointed or get you know frustrated but if you do try new things and i think you learn so much about yourself and about lots of things so i guess kudos to us trying new things oh yeah yeah let's just give us let's just give ourselves a pat on that on the back right now oh why not <laughs> i say by the way one of the things that was interesting for me when i was younger because i was doing um i was a theater actress and i you don't i didn't make a lot of money at doing theater so starting in my early 20s i was also like i said a substitute teacher and i did it for 13 years in between acting uh, jobs in the LA Unified School District. And I ended up meeting thousands of children, you know, and mostly, mostly I did middle school, a little bit of high school. Um, and I know most people go, oh my God, middle school, worst time of my life. What a horrible time. And it's funny because I can say from all the children that I saw, it was the, yes, but it was kind of a really interesting time for an older person to watch, you know, a young adult to watch, because it's right when you're you're going from being a child to being like an older teenager and going into adulthood. And a lot of kids, people still had dreams of who they want to be, what they want to do, very like involved with self. But there's something kind of marvelous about that. And just, you know, I'd look over and there'd be a young lady that was trying out makeup and stuff like that and still wearing like her Hello Kitty backpack at the same time with all her little kid stuff in it. Um, and something that kind of struck me is that I don't believe I saw a single child who didn't want to grow up in, and be of, of usefulness and good in the world. Yeah. I don't believe I, saw, I met a child who said, I'm going to grow up to hurt other people or and I've worked with some some difficult kids too. So I always thought that was something that was interesting that I learned. It's funny that that age is so fragile because I'm sure those kids would come from very different cultural backgrounds or or their, you know, their home situation or their environments would be so much different. You know, some better, some worse. Then do you as a teacher or did you ever take the responsibility, you know, to guide kids to a better way outside of the class or outside of the curriculum that you were trying to teach them? As much as I could, yes. I, it was an LA Unified School District. You have to be kind of, you have, as a teacher, you have to be careful. It right, was, absolutely. At a time period where, that is very sensitive, particularly, you know, one of the things is you can't be alone with the student in a classroom with the door shut. Mm. Uh, at that time, you also could not place your hand like if you had because I worked with a lot of um, challenged students from time to time, because it, at that point, at that time in the LA, I don't know now, in the LA Unified School District, there was a shortage of teachers that were trained to teach special education. So a lot of times you would have a, a substitute teachers who were not trained in that taking over those classes. Um, so you're dealing with a lot of uh, mental and physical issues. Um, and so a lot of those kids are, were very animated or very angry and like, you, you're, you know, you, you can't work with them in terms of say, Hey, can you calm down for a second? Let's, let's just relax or anything like that. You had to do it verbally, but very carefully and stuff like that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, actually, at, for a while, I was uh, the sixth grade counselor. <laughs> I taught everything. It's a very interesting. It was a very interesting time when they were short of a lot of uh, instructors, and so I ended up working outside of the classroom too with a lot of children, uh, and found out about some of their home life situations, many not good, that were also affecting their behavior and how they were treated in school. And things like that. You, so yes, yeah. yes, go ahead. Uh, it, are you somewhat? Have you ever found yourself in life where you've started to lose your way? Oh sure. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how do you overcome that? I think the twenties, your twenties, are really hard. I don't know about people, but yeah. I sort of yeah. talked with my friends, I felt I, I, for me in particular, I believe the period of time in my twenties, I also, but this isn't, you know, it's not an excuse, but it's an, an explanation, you know, it, it was a part of it. For me, I, I experienced a lot of loss in a sh condensed period of time. In about five years, I lost, my parents had a very messy divorce. My brother passed away uh, and I was very close to him. Uh, I got had a very ill thought out uh, marriage and divorce, and my partner's my my brother's partner passed away as well a couple of years after. Uh, not well. My mom didn't handle things, so there was just a lot of negativity, and I felt like I didn't have a handle on how to handle you know a handle on yeah. that. What I did is I went to therapy, and I found. Uh, a therapist who was not easy on me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, she was great, but she did not hold my hand and that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for nice. someone yeah. to help me rearrange some of what I felt I'd been raised with too. So I saw her for about a year and a half and then we parted, you know, we both agreed to part ways, but then uh, I started going through some stuff that got bumped up uh when i was getting married actually in my mid 30s uh I, some anger started coming up in me and i remember thinking i'm i'm about to start directing it this at my husband the guy was gonna my john that yeah. i'm starting to direct it towards him and i don't think it is him it is he i think that I got to take responsibility. Again, it's that outside control. Yeah. If I can just change him, it's something he's doing. It's his behaviors. And it's like, I don't, I don't know that to be true. Maybe it's here. So I went back to her and I, and that was remarkable. That do was you, a game changer. Do you, do, you, do you think you would have been able to find your way through the fog if you had not gone to counseling? Or was that a game? That would have been a game changer for you. I think it was a game changer for yeah. me. I think I needed help to step outside myself and look back into myself more objectively yeah. to own and be responsible to what my behaviors were doing, what they looked like. And I didn't have anyone else in my life I knew to help me with that, right? And this person helped, this psychiatrist, she helped mirror for me actually what 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 i was responsible for right 
Jill, I absolutely love that because, as you said, that she wasn't easy on you because I genuinely believe after doing maybe six or seven sessions of therapy that I hate when therapists say that you're okay the way you are. And I don't like to treat that. Treat. I don't like to think of that to myself. I say that a good therapist would be honest to you and they would tell you that no you're not the way you you're not you're not okay the way you are you could be so much better than you are actually so it's it's really important to find therapists who are not easy on you do you think that was the key thing that helped you in therapy that she was in you know she was honest with you yeah i mean actually one of the reasons why i reached out to her was because a friend a, a friend of mine uh I've been dating this guy and and he was saying that he had seen this therapist and she was, excuse my French, but kicking his ass. Like mm. she wasn't letting him off the hook about things. And I went, can I have her number? And it's, it's funny because I have sent several different people to her over the years and some people can't stand her and say, she came out and she told me that after a couple of sessions, she told me that actually, you know, she understood my issues but that I was spoiled. And they were like, what's that? And it's mm -hmm. like, interesting, interesting to address it. I have to say with me, she she was pretty gentle on me for a, a little bit. You know, she's, she and then she turned around, she would listen to me cry a lot. And then she turned around one day and she said, you know, now you're starting to be a victim. Wow. Yeah. And I went, what? And she said, oh, you're such a victim, aren't you? everything's it, happening to you everything's being done to you and it was like dang <laughs> dang you're good and it's See? funny because she actually had told me she would not talk about work with me she would not because she didn't she worked with actors but she's like i'm not going to talk about your acting work actors are so self-involved with that but it's funny because we eventually ended up talking so much about acting because she looked at me one day and she said given your personality that's the last profession I would ever expected you to go into. <laughs> and she's like, it's really interesting. And I do feel that in, in many ways, acting was the other thing that helped me when I was younger. Wow. Okay. Right. I think it kind of saved me because I got to be all the different people I had been told I shouldn't be. Wow. Growing up. Good. Have, did that experience, do you carry that with you to this day? that therapy experience? Oh, sure. It's, it's, it's a part of, yeah. I mean, it always, I do pause and try to yeah. remind myself that I'm not right. So that in Why a way has right? forever, forever changed who you are going forward. I think so. I mean, one of the things that I talked about, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying, oh, everybody has to do this. This was right for me and the right person for me. But I remember one of the things I said to her is that I feel like your brain is a computer, right? And it gets um, programmed, you know, the nature and nurture, but there's a lot of programming from your culture, your environment, from your family, from your parents. It's all put into you, right? You're told how to see the world before you know how to judge how you're being told to see the world by other people and by the, the, the world around you. And if that programming is no longer 
and a lot of your reactions, right, are to, as a child, are to control that environment, or at least to keep yourself safe, right? We learn behaviors to try to keep ourselves safe from the things that are coming at us or we can't con that we can't control. And those become embedded in you. And that trying, and I, I call it hardwiring, like it's like you're hardwired. I'm hard, I was hardwired a certain way so that you guys, you gentlemen could probably say something to me and I may have an inside reaction to it that I can't control where it's like, oh my God, that just hurt my feelings. But you didn't mean that. You have no idea yeah. that, that that's something that would trigger something in me. And yet it is, right? Yeah. My job, and that's what I found through therapy, was to try to override. You can't rewire, but you can override the wiring to a degree. So you give yourself a breath. Yeah. So instead of like responding immediately, it's like breathe for a second and move on yeah. so that you're not triggered all the time by things that don't need to be triggered anymore. How, how do you, yeah, that makes sense. How, how, how do you deal with um, conflicts now? How, how do you deal with, um, uh, say, difficult people or anger? Well, not well always. Yeah. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying again to understand rather than necessarily, you know, Again, it's this is me, and this is very easy to say. And again, we're living in a world with a lot of anger and yeah. a lot of reasons for the anger. And I'm not making light of that, just putting that out there. Yeah. For me personally, um, an interesting example uh, happened the other day when I was distributing lunch bags at uh, the church where we do our distributions. And uh, the church has gracefully, graciously allowed me for the last three years to have my volunteers there on Sunday for about three hours. We put up tents and we distribute about 2,500 lunch bags to groups that take them out to people in need. So I show up there at 10 in the morning and one of my volunteers has to go to the bathroom and all of a sudden, so she's going to go in the church. All of a sudden, a guy comes running at me with, you know, a mic or whatever going you can't come in here don't you dare you can't we have this church we rented this church we're shooting right now be quiet you know and was angry and I started to try I got hot I started to turn around and I was going to go this isn't your church and I stopped myself and I went oh I'm sorry my name's Bonnie and I'll talk quietly but I'm actually uh I get you don't let me interrupt your shoot but we do the lunch bags here and uh I didn't know you were going to be here and it was his entire body language changed and he said oh my gosh oh okay he goes well we're shooting right now let me think if I can find a way for your volunteers to come through and use the bathroom I get that he said like I can wait till we have cut or something like that this is amazing what you're doing by the way and you know it was just really interesting to stop, to stop. Yeah. It's, it's, a it, it's a hard thing to stop and take a moment um, a lot, at least for me. I think I can fly off the handle a lot. I don't know about Harmon. Um, it's, um, it's a, I'm, I'm going to say it's a skill um, that you need to learn slowly and steadily because if you're just a bull looking for red and you start running, if you see red, then you're just, that's just futile. There's, there's no, there's no benefit to it because then you, you end up hurting other people and yourself. So, um, see if you can stop, 
pause for a moment and uh, rethink your actions and how you respond to situations. Maybe that would, that's what you have control of over. How you react to situations, I guess. And do you think um, a lot about what other people would perceive you as, as well? Do you worry about that? How do you mean perceive me? As? Uh, you know, would you, would you prefer people think of you as a nice, upbeat personality, or do you get worried about what people do you get worried about people uh, what people think about you? I guess is the question. I did. I'm. A, it's a lot better. Yeah. I'm 62 years old. It yeah. gets a lot. It's gotten a lot better the old. I mean, I think that's what a lot of older people say is you become more comfortable. Mm. <laughs> You may not, but many, many people as they age can become more comfortable because it's like, what am I trying, what am I trying to prove anymore? And you do, you know, it just comes, it does come, I think, with experience yeah. with age old, you know, 40 year old friendships and things like that. Sure. When I was younger, I was desperate, you know, I was so, you know, as a teenager, yeah, I was, I was really worried what people thought about me I always I do remember isn't this silly but when I was like five or six years old you know you everybody asks you what you want to be when you grow up I did say I want to be a nice person wow <laughs> right what a what an odd thing is that though <laughs> I probably was trying to get points from my parents or my mom at least you know because that's what you maybe you're supposed to be I don't know um but yeah I mean more than ever being considered a powerful person or, you know, when I was young, I'll be really honest. I think when I was probably around 13 or 14, I realized that I wasn't going to be beautiful. Mm. And I, I was really, it, that was really upsetting to me. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with that. And I think in part is because for me then at my age as a young woman, I felt like that was, that was power. Like, if you're that was there was power there and attention and things like that i mean that's kind of obvious but in a weird way it was inside of me that i had lost out on something um and i was going to have to figure out you know that i might be rather invisible for me like what i felt when i was young a younger woman i was invisible if i were standing next to you know, it's those times too. But if I was standing next to what was considered a beautiful woman, nobody would talk to me, you yeah. know, or they come ask me and they would what my friend was thinking or if they, you know, and then you get older and you go, geez, I'm glad I wasn't that person because with great beauty comes great pain and great pressure and all those other things that you learn. So with great beauty comes great pain and pressure that's interesting i You're... think so and maybe maybe not i don't know maybe maybe because i have maybe i put far too maybe i in my entire life i put far too much power in beauty i try not i mean i'm i'm one of the things i'm trying to really for better it's the word we use in my house of grok is not at all judging people. Or if I have a judgment to do that, take a breath and let it go. Mm. Just let it float in the ether. Do not give it any power. It's just a thought that came out of my lazy brain. People by what they look like at all. Mm. 
Right. That I can't know you. Didn't Dostoevsky said beauty will save the world along those lines? Could be wrong. Have you ever read that quote of Dostoevsky? I don't, I've read Dostoevsky, but I don't recall. Recall that? It was something like along those lines that beauty would save mankind or save the world. But any, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll read more about it and then, then bring it up. <laughs> and then, the, then like the definition of beauty then, right? Right. If we all agreed to alter our perceptions of beauty, perhaps. Hmm. Let me, let me ask you this and. You know, I don't want to tap into anything personal. I just want to know the dynamics of a relationship between you and John. How, how you know, what was it about? What's about him that stands differently? Or what is it about him that's different? And I, we kids can learn so that we can be better partners or, you know, something like that. I'm Again, I'm not trying to tap into something personal. We just want to learn. You guys, you guys know John. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. We've done a podcast with him. Yes. Well. Yes. <laughs> he's he's one of the most. He's a very cheery soul. Absolutely, he is. Yeah. He also really he's a pull the band aid off kind of person, which is really good for me. Like, nice. don't you know if if something needs to be said or done, you do it. Uh, I tend to come more from the tribe of puttering around things, procrastination. I don't want to get people mad at me because I want to be a nice person. He doesn't worry about, I mean, I, you know, he doesn't want to be perceived as a mean person, but you know, it's funny. He also taught me not to worry about what you look like, which right. I love. Right. I mean, that man hmm. can wear the same pair of pants on a trip seven days a week and not worry about it no one else worries about it either by the way i may suggest we wash them once or twice but <laughs> um but there's something extraordinarily freeing and also he's different than i am that is a different wiring and you get to see it in action and be able to talk and but he you know he also you know has engaged in trying to, to understand me and listen to me so that we also do you know we've done some interesting things we we one of the things books that was recommended to us by my 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 therapist was uh horrible can i mention someone's name of course yeah, yeah. oh getting the love you want the titles are a little and, and keeping the love you find by harville Hendricks, which most uh, couples counselors will recommend and they're very interesting because they're about how to communicate how do you say it? again it's that instead of anger anger like i yell at you i have reaction and i yell back at you or you know blame or things like that it's you know finding safe places a good time when you can bring up things that you want to talk about where it's a good environment you feel good about each other and it's like yeah let's talk about this or really hearing what the other person is saying before you start thinking your own thoughts so you actually, in essence, repeat to them what they said to you yeah. and they're allowed, your partner, you know, can say, that's really not what I said. Yeah, right. This is what I meant. Yeah. So that you don't reinterpret, yeah. right? You actually 
have to respect the fact that your partner has a very specific or not point of view that you need to hear. Take it in and then have a response. Something that um, strikes me about John is he's so well-read and articulate and you can have a constructive um, conversation or argument with John and he can present those arguments for why he believes certain certain things and um, in, a, in a very um, articulate manner, which I'm a little bit intimidated by. <laughs> Do you get intimidated by that? <laughs> he uses words well. <laughs> yes, you do notice there are all these books yes, behind yeah. me. Um, yes. Now he's probably he may be listening. <laughs> no. Um occasionally he'll use a big word or two. <laughs> yeah. Incorrectly. Or he will in fact use a word and it's like, could you just tell me what it means? Because I don't know what that means, <laughs> you know. No big deal here. Um, no, I'm 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 in awe of his knowledge and his articulateness. Uh, I've been known to babble and babble. You may have noticed this: babble and babble and babble, and sort of lose my way. And it's funny because he will roll his eyes and go, "Really?" <laughs> um, so I've gotten a little more articulate over the years, just because. Um, but the thing for me that's really great is because he is so widely and well-read is if I want to know more about situations in the world or things or pieces of information, I just ask him and I can get a lot of, of information. And I know it's it's pretty good information because he goes to very good sources and he tries to read and know sort of both sides of the issue if he can, or if it's not an issue, but have a more rounded He's the only person, I'm sure there are other people, but the only person I know who read War and Peace, but read a whole bunch of books surrounding, historical books surrounding that time period, and then looked at a whole bunch of maps, mm -hmm. so that in going into the book, he could fully <laughs> embrace it. How did you two meet? Oh, we have many different versions of that story. Um, uh, sometimes I come out with a snappy joke, but we met, uh, I saw him performing in Great Expectations at uh, a Noise Within Theater. Uh, it was in Glendale at the time. I was going with a director friend of mine and I, we were going to see an, uh, the guy playing Pip and, and John played Herbert Pocket. And I remember sitting in the audience, he just, he come down from Seattle not that long ago. And I, I turned to my director friend and we both were like, who is that guy? I've never seen him. He's terrific. He was, he was, he, I don't know. The first time you see John act, I think, is just like stunning because it's just a different energy. He's there's so much energy. It's just, you know, it's unforgettable. So, yes. Uh, and then my version of it is I went to compliment him afterwards and he was very involved in going out to drinks with other people in the cast, particularly a blonde woman across the way. And it was like, OK, fine, I'm going to go away now. Um, but we ran into each other, you know periodically at auditions and then uh a, a friend of mine went out to breakfast with john and came back and said do you know john billingsley and i said yeah he's a really great actor and he said you guys should go out mm. and I went, really he said you guys remind me of each other you have the same energy i went okay bruce 
And then two days later, uh, I was getting out of my car to go to a commercial audition at about five in the afternoon. And John was walking by because he had the same audition. It was to read the phone book for H&R Block Australia. Uh, and it literally was to read the phone book as boringly wow. as possible. So we walked back to the audition and we ended up sitting there for like three hours because they were so backed up. And he had a date that night. So he was being all grouchy about it. And I was explaining how I didn't believe in dating. See, this is who I was when I was younger. And I was like, I'm not sure about dating. Like, how do you know the person isn't an ax murderer? Because everybody's on their best behavior when you go out, right? Yeah. No one's like, this is who I am. So I was holding forth on that one. So when he finally got done with his audition, he went first. He came out and he asked me for my phone number. And he said, but don't think of it as a date. Right. And uh, called me three days later. He broke up with that gal. He says the next morning, his date that night. But that's just him being funny. Um, and uh, I th we hit it off immediately. Tissue of lies. Let <laughs> <laughs> me see. He heard all of this. We met in a minimum security prison in Arkansas. Right. Much interesting story, John. That that would have been a great story, though. Bonnie had been arrested for check kiting, and I was arrested for impersonating a cow in a public square. <laughs> did you say cow? He did. It was a very special thing for people who were presumably deranged, and we hit it off right away. Um, nice. Like story Bonnie tells that's a, it's a lovely story. It's just a tissue of lies. Thank you, dear. Are you wearing pants? No. Okay. <laughs> Maybe they did go for washing this time, those pants. <laughs> no, no, I think they're just standing up in the corner of the room waiting for him. Um, yeah, so that actually is the true story, <clears throat> is the prison. Do you, do you live um, life with much regret? No. Do you, do you guys? I think I um, there are opportunities. I think because I'm younger, I'm 33. Armin's 25. Yeah. I think I think you live and you miss out on opportunities, but you you can't help but dwell on the missed opportunities. Still, I still don't think I've managed to get past missed opportunities. Not regrets per se, but more opportunities that I still can't help but dwell on. Well, I mean, sure. I mean, we all have things like that you, that you do think about. But as John and I have talked about, and he often points out to me, you know, you can't second guess your life. So some of the great things that you do, you're like, wow, I'm glad I took that on. Or yeah. if you guys are loving this podcast and stuff you wouldn't be here. Mm. And that again, probably harkens back to the question of do the little choices you make every day influence the path of your life? I think I may have misphrased that, but in that sense of, you know, going to the gym that day or not doing this or doing that, some of those choices do lead you to the place that you are now. Mm. Some of those missed opportunities, you know, does Tom Selleck, wish that he'd been indiana jones who knows but all the things that he did that went this way he yeah. might not have done if he'd gone that way so do you think as you get older you self-reflect more I, well 
yeah yeah because you do have yeah. you start to see the paths yeah and where i think it becomes a little more clear yeah because i think to my my point uh, because we are younger you're sort of still in the thick of it trying to figure out who you are yeah and it's yeah, not I mean, you, yeah so not until you'd probably get older and you sort of realize well if i didn't make that decision then that wouldn't have happened or man i'm glad i didn't make that decision well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, that's something that we've talked about before too. Is if you, you know, I when we have a number of friends like who have gotten, we've both been married before. Other friends who've been uh, married or with partners before, and you know, upon splitting, the devastation and the pain, the loss, and the sense of, oh, I blew it. And then you revisit three or four years later, and they're with a partner or a person or alone, but do it, but doing amazing things that they never would have been able to do mm. if they'd stayed in that particular place or relationship. At, at what age did you think you had your life finally figured out? Or do you think you have your life figured out? Oh, no, I don't think I have my life figured out at all. Because again, I can't control it. Yeah. And I can't control. But what I will say for me, I think I kind of mapped, I, I kind of feel like I get that you, depending on how lucky or if not, I mean, how long you, you end up uh, living on this earth is that you, you can kind of divide it into, for me, it's into th a thirds, the first third, mm. this middle third and the last third. Yeah, And that makes sense to me to understand that this portion of my life in order to have as much of that kind of sense of, of joy yeah. still is to understand what death is like what, what the decaying process, yeah. the going downhill process. And what about that is important yeah. for yeah. my experience. Um, so I'm in the comedy world here in Australia. Um, I write a lot for comedians and I used to do stand-up comedy as well, but I'm very um, embedded in the Australian comedy scene here. And we just had a massive loss to the Australian comedy world just a few days ago. Um, a vibrant, colourful, funny lady uh, passed away very suddenly at 52 with no, pre with no um, medical conditions to speak of. She just... Um, passed away very quickly and it was such a loss here for the community um, that we're all still feeling it. And you talked about loss. Do you feel with loss that you've had a tendency to appreciate people more while they're here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think my, my brother died. I was 20 seven and he was 33 yeah and he was my best friend he was my sister's best friend he was uh you know just a, a wonderful artist human being took care of people a lot i'm so glad that you know we were in each other's lives though i mean would you regret regret having that it does it does it did rem for me that was the the pain in 
particular is when it's too early. It's it's not in the right yeah. time frame. It feels, and I think that must be. I'm so sorry. Yeah, the loss that y'all are feeling on top of everything is that that is too young. Yeah, that's not, and there was no sense of warning or whatever. But yeah, I mean that is the thing is that moment to moment appreciation is good, um, and I do feel like I try to to re, you know try to connect and and be aware of that. Yeah, I think I think after that and a few other losses um, earlier this year, both my personal life, I think you when I was talking about missed opportunities earlier, I think you just miss those opportunities not to talk to that person more, you know, you regret not spending more time with that person until after the fact, and you don't appreciate them while they're here. I think that has been a big turning point for me just this week. Yeah. And I will say, I think it was Keanu Reeves who, who 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 silenced everyone on Colbert because Colbert was asking him those questions, and one of them was, "What do you think happens when we die?" Mm. And I believe he said, "Everyone here misses you very, very much." Yeah. And and that's the thing is that it's mostly about your missing of the person, you yeah. know, and that person I bet would the people that you've lost probably would not perceive that you hadn't given them enough of yourself what you felt is you didn't get enough of them probably yeah that's true yeah yeah that's very so, true so you, that regret I, I think no blame for yourself for feeling like you did something wrong or missed out I will say and I've said this to people I don't know anything about afterlife or or profess to or I'm not sure what I think about it or feel about it but I did I was trying to I was talking to a guy who was losing both who lost both of his parents recently, but this is when I was in my 30s. I was talking with him at a at a party. Um, so it's probably 36 or 37 or something like that. And I said, you know, I just decided I would talk to my brother anyway, since he passed away. Not gonna hurt anybody. Yeah. It gives me a sense of still him with me. And if he's, if there's any bit of him that is able to absorb it, we're together. And then you sort of can feel like the person is still with you and you can say the things you'd like to say and appreciate them still, you know, yeah. there's no rules that say you can't and it doesn't, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, I've got, no, I think I, I agree with that because um, as you just said that you can still think about them and the things that they said. Um, I lost my grandfather in 2016. I still has have his watch, and every every now and then, if I look at it, um, I'll think of the things he said and expected me to be, and I only focus on the good things. And you know, it's not. I, I'm a very rational, logical person. I don't believe in all that um, afterlife or if I can talk to or blah 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 shit. I'm just a very logical person. But I think like, okay, that's the things that he said, and it this me thinking this is a reminder that I need to be on a better path. And I think what you said, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not forgetting. It's why we have pictures and photographs and things exactly. like that. Mm. So we'll, we'll start to wrap the podcast up soon. We've really enjoyed this. We've gone really deep with this one. I'll, I love it. <laughs> oh, I hope that's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's what our podcast is all about. Yeah. <laughs>
I'm so glad John came in for comic relief. I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I won't um, apologize. No, no, this is genuinely what we want the podcast to be is delving deeper into life and life's questions and grander themes. So we really appreciate you, um, you know, delving deep with us. Well, absolutely. Um, it's really lovely to talk with you guys. And I know John is always doing podcasts all the time, and I don't know you 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 do them as frequently as John. So I'm re I'm really glad we had this opportunity to have you on for a, on a podcast for a change. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. So, um, so charity is a big part of your life. Um, why is it a big part of your life? Well, you know, for one thing, it's just such. It, it's a good thing. It just. It's a good thing. It does on a selfish level. It does make one feel. It makes me feel good about myself. I mean, I don't know. There's just a. a a pleasure and a sense there's a sense of immediacy and i just i have to say i really you know i john may mention this too we really uh started i mean did heavy lifting volunteering um charity work with the hollywood food coalition starting in 2017 um oh you do the math um and uh what I found continuing it through the pandemic is that the sense of community and getting to experience all these people who were willing to donate their time, volunteer, donate food, make these incredible lunch bags, drive them over, people driving, I had volunteers picking up food from all over the city, driving it around to get it to people in need seeing all these groups that are working with people in need, trying to provide them with food and supplies and counseling and help and housing, and then seeing all these people receiving it and, and by and large really being filled with gratitude for it and being able to be a part of the orchestration of that because so much of why people, I believe, have trouble, have a difficulty sometimes with volunteering in charity is because th there's no system. Right. They don't know where to plug themselves in. They don't know how you're supposed to do it. You know, who who will tell me what I should do or shouldn't do and then let me fly with it and stuff like that. And to be able to see it in action is amazing. And it makes me like people. Also, when you were younger, someone asked you what you wanted to be and you said nice person. So maybe that's why. Well, yes, that does <laughs> that does fulfill that better than going out. It does, absolutely. Yeah. Throwing rocks at a pigeon. <laughs> what What would you tell your younger self? I think a lot of people do this and tell their younger self is don't sweat the small stuff. Um, I would really, I wish, I wish, I wish I could have told myself just breathe yeah. and be curious. Whenever you have feelings and things like that, be curious and experiment. Don't go into the feeling. Observe it. See yeah. what it means. Stuff like that. Don't sleepwalk through life. That's a good one. 
Yeah. That's a very good one. Yeah. Um, you, it's funny. Would you, would you change anything if you could actually go back in life? I feel like I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything if I could go back in life. I'd keep it, keep everything the same. I would just enjoy it twice if I could go back. I wouldn't change anything. I'd keep all the trauma, all the mishaps, all the losses, all the wins. I'll keep it exactly the same. I'll just enjoy it like a movie. Oh, that's I, interesting. I wouldn't change it, no. Would you? Well, it's kind of like Back to the Future. If you changed it, what? <laughs> that's you. You don't. <laughs> I mean, if you could go through and I don't know, no. How would I don't know how how would I rewrite that story? You you would be rewriting a story, right? And just changing the parts you wanted to. Exactly. Yeah. Then the whole story is different. Rewriting the whole. Story. The whole story is different from like one tiny speck yeah. you change. Mm. You're causing me to think a lot, which is really good because I need to think about that more. Because I I agree with you because it's like, I don't know, I'm reading a book called The Knicks right now and it's it, one of the, it's a really good book. One of the, I mean, the lead character in it, his favorite books growing up are these like choose your own adventure books. Right. And it, it's part of the structure of this book. It's really well written about how he starts sort of ending each chapter a chapter with choose he's in his 30s now choose your new adventure and that idea is like well gosh would you go back and choose a different adventure yeah hmm, that's it that's a very interesting question would you go back and choose a different adventure? interesting and you, while you're thinking yeah. while you're thinking also think that you actually technically can't go back in time you can go always forward in time because time moves in one direction so here you go it's, i threw some <laughs> logic in there for you <laughs> i love the logic because it is true so why you know why not embrace what was find the things where you might say i would choose to do something different and see if there's a way you can put that into your future right yeah. If anything that feels at all similar comes up, is that then choose another adventure because you didn't back here and maybe you'd like that experience here. Yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite memory? Just any memory. Could be from your childhood, could be a recent um, memory. Well, that's a tricky, with a, a favorite or just. Yeah. A, I don't. I mean, I have, lo I have lots of them. Let me let, let me specify. What's your favorite childhood memory? Let's specify it a little bit. I don't remember my childhood very well. Mm. Yeah, I could Do say you that. Guys? I don't, I probably. Um... I remember certain chunks, but the first memory I have is um, a traumatic memory of falling off a waterbed. Oh. <laughs> and being How rushed to hospital, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Probably maybe four, maybe three or four. And you said you had to go to the hospital? Yeah. Um, I was being rushed to the hospital with my mother and her two friends in the back of an ambulance. And I remember my mother was hysterical, but I wasn't crying. So her two friends were trying to calm her down saying, he's not crying, so you shouldn't either. So what had happened, I had fallen off a waterbed and I had um, basically knocked my um, head into the corner of the um, bed. Aww. So 
So I've got like a Harry Potter scar on my forehead now. <laughs> you are Harry Potter. That's that's interesting that you were not crying though. Yeah. But yeah, my mother was in hysterics. I remember that. And her two friends were like, well, he's not crying, so you shouldn't cry. It's pretty horrible, but <laughs> that's my earliest memory. Well, I'm sure. Do you like you, um, do you like water beds <laughs> anymore? Well, after that, he doesn't. After that, I've never even been on one since. So maybe I don't. Well, they're they're actually kind of annoying. I have yeah, to say. Yeah. Well, now I can I can remember <laughs> my brother who was an artist. Um, one Christmas, he decided to make finger puppets of the out of felt of the Nutcracker Suite characters. So there was a little Clara and a fairy godmother and a Nutcracker, and you could put them on your finger. And they were all, they were, I mean, he was a really good artist and he sewed them. So they were really clever and there were 12 of them, I believe. And then he made a big tin foil box that he decorated so that when I opened it, all the characters were in there. Uh -huh. I thought that was pretty cool. Hey, do you, um, you sit and think about um, your future? Hey, John. <laughs> we have to talk about our will and trust this week. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're asking me if I think about our my future. Um, yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, sure. Sure, I do. I, uh, I'm also, and this will come up as you both get older, the frequency of people around you getting ill yeah. or... Uh, passing on uh, does increase so there is a uh, very much an awareness of what that means uh and also someone in my family is very ill so there's but it's uh become very extended so and, and my mom's still and my parents are both still alive so there's a lot of caretaking that is uh coming up but it is trying to figure out how to balance life so that we have our life and the also the taking care of others is uh of course embedded in there but where is the balance that's what i meant again too about thinking of the portion the the thirds of your life that you're in however you want to look at it what happens in that zero to 30 say if you want to you know when you're 30 years old what's what is where are you going aiming for I mean, that's so different. The tra trajectory is so different from 30 to 60, right? Yeah. And what you're looking for, what you think you're trying to shape and build, and then 60 to if you're you know, 90, 80, whatever it is, what does, what's that going to look like? So, yes. Would Would you be someone who still thinks about career? Or has career now become secondary to where you are now? Um, Both John and I like to work. Yeah. Um, Probably not. I'm not as interested in doing theater anymore. Eight shows a week, eight nights a week. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of involvement. But we like doing TV and film. We're not going to probably pursue it as, as, and we don't, as and there are other reasons why we aren't right now, but as actively as we did when we were younger. Mm. Do, do you think that slows down? I think where we are, we're probably more um, career-driven, right? Um, and that will probably slow down 
once we hopefully make accomplishments with our careers when we get to your age? Yeah, I mean, I think that is. It depends on, again, it can depend on choices and where you end up. Those choices will lead you to whether you are more likely to want to continue working until you're 80. I mean, I do think that being doing stuff like that is, is can be incredibly valuable to feeling engaged and you know in your life and loving it you know i have friends whose parents work into their 90s my father worked until he was about 85 um and uh, my mom worked until she was she's physically disabled but she worked till she was about 72 73 um we have the john and i can be more retired now but still i mean i have to say then my energies are going more into charity the charity stuff that we're doing um so it kind of shifts i mean i I think remaining active and interested and it's it's funny how thing or how your priorities can shift as you get older as well because our priorities will be very different in our 30s versus what they'll probably be like in our 60s well yeah there's a book called stumbling on happiness uh john loves that book too it's really interesting because it's a it's basically examining what we think of as being happy and what will make you happy the part that john always remembers which is a very small part of the book is that a lot of uh, partners and couples, I don't remember when the book was written, it was a bit back, but a lot of couples say, you know, they think that they're going projected if they have children and a family, it will make them happy. And when they did the survey, actually many people were happy until they had children, unhappy during the period they had children, and then were happier when their children left. <laughs> Although there are some people who, for whom family and children is absolute happiness, you know, but it's yeah. not what we all think it, we project stuff. And often we'll say, oh, I'd be so happy if I did this in my fifties or in my sixties, not realizing that you don't feel the same as you're yeah. saying in part, physically, you don't feel the same, Yeah, which changes a lot of the course of your decisions and stuff so making decisions now based on what you think you're going to want to be doing in your 60s is kind of that that is a, again that going a little bit too far mm. yeah in protecting your future and sometimes going a little bit too far into your past to determine what will make you happy in the present yeah do you, do you think people living in the present do you think people have are losing that or do you think people are still living in the past or living in the future? Do you think we've lost that? I don't know. I think <clears throat> human beings historically kind of stay the same. I mean, we, you know what I mean? I can't speak. To, I don't, I can't speak to what the advancements in technology have done for how people feel. It feels to me like a lot of people would like to work less. Or have again, you know, more control over yeah. how they work or be able to be more individualized and creative. I mean, I think we're sort of there is a lot of transition that's going on now. And I don't I don't profess to understand where that's what that means. If people are, are happier or more sad. I don't I'm not I don't know. Yeah. Maybe um well. <laughs> this this has been an incredible 
podcast. It's given us a lot to think about. It's been very, very profound. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> or extraordinarily shallow is. <laughs> what sort of um, parting words of advice would you would you give to two young guys? To you two young guys? Yeah. I think you guys are doing something really special. And yeah. I think you are very thoughtful people, obviously. Um, I, I think continuing to talk with people and find their thoughts and engage in these kinds of conversations is something really rather extraordinary. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it, it always kind of has, life is an interesting thing. And if you don't necessarily try to control the outcome, I don't know that trying to control the outcome stops things that aren't going to feel pleasant sometimes. I think you're more likely to find sort of incredible moments of joy and just a feeling of peace and things like that if you kind of like, I don't mean by letting go of control not being organized. We're not thinking ahead. It's just not, it's okay. If, it's always good to have some structure. Right. It's just structures and imagination is imaginary. So you kind of, it's, I used to call it when I directed theater, you do need a hat rack, a coat rack. You need a spine to your, your theatrical piece. When you're directing all these people in a play, you can't be the director and say, oh, just do whatever you want. Cause people won't. You know, people that are confused. It's like with charity and volunteering. So you put something down in the middle and said, these are, this is the spine of this. Hmm. And these are the pieces that hang off of it. And now you can start putting clothing and all the things you want and you choose, you can hang on it. But if something falls off or you decide to change something or you even decide you don't like that coat rack and you're going to put it away and, and, you know, find another structure to hand things on, that's okay. But you do have, having something to build upon is good. Yeah, right. And this this has been incredible. Do you, do you have any more questions? No, I just want to say, I think you and John do have the very similar energy. And and uh, um, as I said, that as, as I think Dan mentioned that he's very articulate and uh, you said that he's a very um, pull the bandaid off kind of person. And I think uh, I look up to that. So, um, yeah, say that to John, because I don't think I, I happened to mention that in the <laughs> previous podcast we did but uh we thank you so we want to thank you again uh, for your time and doing this and uh, i think yeah. you enjoyed this conversation and hopefully you did too so um i yeah. did and i thank you both and and again i mean john always hogs up all the podcasts so we're very glad that that you that you're you're on one for a change so th thank you so much for, for doing this today um absolutely my pleasure and a lot of uh and love you guys. Thank you.